0: Alright, so <clears throat> today I want to um, uh, expand on a teaching from the book Nosolar, Our Home, <clears throat> the channeling uh, of uh, Francisco Xavier, Javier, or um, Chico, uh, I never can say Xavier, Javier, Javier Francisco Javier. So we went through the Nosolar book extensively in 15 sessions and there's a playlist to that. There was a particular teaching in there, uh, which I think is coming from upper middle astral plane or middle astral plane, where I think they are, uh, regarding four types of marriage. And these four types of marriage are also four types of relationship and i was thinking about it you can this this sort of a fourfold schema four uh types of marriage also pertain to any kind of partnership it also pertains to interpersonal experience in general meaning any kind of interpersonal long-term relationship short or long term really uh can be analyzed in these four categories um in which the quality of the marriage or the partnership or the relationship in general will have aspects of these four and one or the other may predominate but it'll be certain, a certain mix of them uh, and one can even uh, apply this uh, four, what I could call the four modes of experience or four modes of relation, relationship or relationality or four modes or types of relational experience, also pertains to -to moment-to-moment experience in terms of how we're feeling and how it's, how the quality of the catalyst that we're getting, the quality um, of a testing uh, in the sense of all experience being a test, like Nityananda said. So what I want to do is review these four types of marriage, which are four types of Partnership and relationship, and even four modes of experience. And then look into um, uh, a Buddhist understanding of the of the eight worldly winds. So we could say, I'm not sure how I'm going to title this, and I'm not sure how many sessions we'll go on this. Four modes of experience, or four modes and eight winds. And I'll send links um, when we get to the other sections. So. Uh, in the raw material uh, if you search for the keyword joys uh, that's how I found uh, a statement from raw that I remembered session 64 8 Don was asking about raw's fourth density experience and asking is that beyond the law of confusion meaning can you talk about it or not and the phrase you know the term joys and sorrows was used and in many ways or one way to understand this discussion of the four modes of relationship is <clears throat> as a unpacking of what these joys and sorrows are all about so let me read the exchange of don and raw 64 8 don said what about the fourth density experience of Ra?" Would that also lie beyond the law of confusion? Ra said, this is correct, meaning um, <clears throat> it does lie beyond or it would be an infringement for us to talk too much about it. Ra said, this is correct. Let us express a thought. Ra is not elite. To speak of our specific experiences to a group which honors us, meaning the LNL group of the three that were receiving them, is to guide to the point of a specific advising, meaning you'll just follow us. Or we're not intending to advise, uh, and so that's why it's an infringement to talk too much about it. They went on, Our work was that of your peoples, of experiencing the catalyst of joys and sorrows. And so that's the metaphysical um, foundation of this discussion of four modes of marriage, partnership, relationship the catalyst of joys and sorrows. What is that? Ra said, Our circumstances were somewhat more harmonious. Let it be said that any entity or group may create the most splendid harmony in any outer atmosphere, meaning any uh, physical or space-time environment. Ra's experiences are no more than your own. Yours is the dance at this space-time in third density harvest, meaning now is harvest, even if it's a hundred years from now or the end of third density dimensional shift is 100 years from now or whenever, um, this is the time of harvest. And so their experience at fourth density, like our experience in third density, is uh, experiencing the catalyst of joys and sorrows, or experiencing happiness and sadness, (laughs) uh, pleasure and pain. And these are uh, catalysts for... Our personal transformation, as always. Now, in Nosolar, um there were you know four types of marriage, in a sense, karmically uh, karmically arranged, meaning in in line with um, multi-incarnational reincarnational karmic flow and balance. Um, getting back what you put out, getting challenges to development where there has not been development, uh, karmic balancing, karmic return, and the nature of, um, particularly, you know, it was said, marriage, that is uh, well known before birth. And during incarnation under the veil, generally... There's a lot of confusion about what's going on here with this relationship when there's trouble. And these four modes, or types of marriage, which again can be extended to any kind of partnership, or friendship, or relationship, or even moment-to-moment experience, are love, friendship, duty, responsibility, and testing. And I wrote out for myself some... Uh, elaborations on each of these four types again love friendship duty and responsibility and testing so in terms of love a love-based marriage or partnership or uh, a pleasurable and satisfactory a harmonious relationship in general or even experience in terms of partnership of any type this indicates a deep what I would say is a deep mind body spirit compatibility at multiple levels physical emotional mental spiritual right so this is a the sequence up the chakras one through four physical there, there are many ways of looking at the the chakra of significance but one understanding of uh, the progression one through four is physical emotional mental spiritual mental you know physical is uh, the quality of embodied experience uh, and particularly compatibility sexually and physically, you know, I just feel happy with her next to me, like that, body to body, and there is a certain dynamic of that. Uh, so compatibility at, uh, at these multiple levels, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, with a strong positive emotional charge for both parties, and that's called a, a, a soulmate or a great or a wonderful or an easy or a natural uh fit between the two partners that may be to friendship that may be any kind of partnership that may be within the family though there may not be sexual but obviously it's uh, compatibility <clears throat> that, uh, a compatibility that a happiness a heart a heart-centered happiness together and unpacking that what we'd find is um compatibility at multiple levels uh, particularly emotional, mental, spiritual, uh, feeling good together, just naturally, and thinking alike or similar interests, or easy communication, or comfortable sharing, the, the minds fit pretty well. And that doesn't even have to be uh, we're both having the same interests, actually. It can simply be that the way the two people's minds work fits And it feels good together. And then, uh, spiritually, there is a sense of um, both being on the positive path, (laughs) both valuing uh, kindness and honesty and patience and uh, good communication and fairness and respect. All the virtuous qualities are respected by both. So that's um, what everybody's gunning for in terms of partnership or marriage. But it is (laughs) rarely achieved or not that common and just because you want it doesn't mean you're going to get it uh and so <clears throat> that type of excellent partnership uh when it's found is usually uh the result of it being planned before birth it's called pre-programmed catalyst as raw talked about the second category that they presented in is friendship and i uh wrote this out as significant emotional, mental harmony, and compatibility with only moderate emotional or romantic feeling and non-sexual. Again, there are many definitions. Anybody can, you know, there's, uh, what? (laughs) There's non-sexual love too, obviously. Uh, And so there can be partnership or friendship that's not sexual, but but there's a lot of love. It's uh, heartfully connected uh, but in terms of the distinctions in marriage presented in Nos Alar, uh, love, which is really, um, <clears throat> includes a bit of passion, you know, a bit of um, real intimacy physically as well, is different than friendship. And yet, there is a lot of harmony. Uh, there's a mental compatibility. There's an easy feeling together. And <clears throat> there are good marriages, so if we just look at the at the experience of marriage uh there are certainly good marriages that are quite asexual but it's fine for both or they become asexual over 20 40 years of being together uh or it never really was and it doesn't matter or even in a in a love relationship you know or uh, in a love relationship when the sexual dies down it may well be fine for both and that's a sign of of really excellently um Fitted relationship. and the, but, but the point is it's not <clears throat> uh, it, it's not the intention before every incarnation to find one's true, perfect, easy love. Uh, there are a lot of souls that are going to be planning for non-loving marriage <laughs> of one type or another for various reasons. And it's not, we can say, reward and punishment, but it's generally catalyst of, of uh, catalyst for evolution and then we go back you know this is the unpacking of Ra's comment on the catalyst of joys and sorrows so the first two types of marriage or partnership or relationship being love and friendship um, are qualified by pleasure and happiness and some kind of ease of togetherness uh, but there are two other types of marriage partnership Relationship that are planned before birth or that we see and experience, clearly. The other two are duty, responsibility, and then testing. And again, each of these blend, and so I'll explain that later. So duty, responsibility uh, could be seen as a karmic obligation for short or long-term care and support with some degree of self-sacrifice. And this is what I would I commonly call an 80-20 relationship. Meaning, generally, 80% it seems like I'm giving and not receiving. Um, that may well be the plan for why that relationship is in my life. And one can see this certainly in family, where there are certain people in a family that <clears throat> we don't really fit so well with. Whether it's parents or siblings or relatives. Uh, and they need a lot and they can give very little and for various reasons it seems that we have a sense of duty to stay and our staying is mainly giving and offering and then what are we getting well the primary gain I could say is doing the right thing (laughs) is fulfilling responsibility Uh, I'm getting not much back from them and one may or may not even get appreciation and that's even more bitter And that goes to the fourth category called testing, Uh, giving and fulfilling responsibility, being present, listening, being patient, uh, helping out physically, you know, doing errands and this and that, or taking care of of a partner or a friend who, short or long term, can't take good care of themselves, that's pretty common. Uh, What do we get back is really just the sense that that I've done done my, uh, as uh, one teacher would say, do your danda, I think Nityananda might have said that, danda, D-A-N-D-A in Sanskrit, it's associated with responsibility, like dharma, do your dharma. Uh, And um, that is the, you know, a a sort of bittersweet or bitter catalyst uh, programmed often before birth uh, for the soul to learn responsibility, you know, it's very common. Uh, so there are a lot of situations in marriage and partnership where uh, the other cannot give much to us or to the, to anyone. They can't take care of themselves too well, and the main the main uh, activity here seems to me seems to be to seems to be for one to uh, fulfill their obligations and responsibilities uh, in caretaking for the other and that's that the fourth category is called testing and you can see that there there's a blend of these four while where um, fulfilling duty responsibility is a form of testing for sure and testing more particularly could be called a short or long term Challenge to us regarding right response, and the right response of course is love wisdom or fourth ray fifth ray, or bringing uh wisdom and compassion as the Buddhists understand, which is fifth ray fourth ray uh to bear in the dynamics interpersonally, and that's really you know a whole lot harder doing than saying, and there are certain people that are totally dysfunctional or very angry, disturbed, upset, distorted and that's, uh, you know, husband or wife or brother or sister or relative or someone or friend Uh, and they ain't getting better and yet um, for short or long term it seems that uh, I got to deal with this and it's really a challenge, you know, it's easy to love the lovable, it's hard to love um the angry distorted selfish irritable <laughs> troublemaking distort you know con- distorted view person meaning people who have very extreme distortions in how they think like you always do that to me you want to hurt me right <laughs> you just you 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 told me that because you want to hurt me right you always want to hurt me the whole world wants to hurt me blaming blaming uh, a lot of people are stuck in that. Uh, we may not be able to run away from such a person. They may be in our family, they may be our spouse and obviously uh, if there's the sense that if if there appears to be no door, then uh, duty, obligation, responsibility, and testing are involved, and that's a painful relationship. And generally, this testing would be associated with strong interpersonal conflict, distorted speech and action uh, of the other, and triggering us into distorted speech and action, uh, aggression, and dukkha, dukkha-dukkha, the, the um, painful dukkha. And so, uh, there's obviously <clears throat> a mix of these four modes of partnership in any partnership. Uh, we may stay because of love, we may stay because of duty or of obligation, responsibility, uh, that uh, staying obviously will involve some testing, and to the extent that we have distortions, which we all do to some degree in the lower triad, meaning first, second, third chakra, uh, particularly second and third, sense of self, and ways of being with others or particularly understanding of self with other this is very much third chakra understanding society people have some people have some heavy distortions how they understand society which translate into um, confused or harmful ways of being in society or with groups or with others that's what third chakra is all about Uh, second is personal and third chakra is interpersonal Clearly, many relationships um, involve duty, responsibility, and testing. Uh, The question is, (laughs) how much of of a mixture of the top two, love and friendship, uh, are mixed in with the bottom two, duty, obligation, uh, and testing, and that's what determines uh, the the you know the relative mix of joy and sorrow in the partnership. So, what is joy and sorrow? Well, we'll find um, that the catalyst of joys and sorrows in partnership, marriage, close relationship, and family life uh, are often planned before birth. And so there are certain people or certain souls, when they're very highly distorted, uh, generally programmed for testing and duty relationship. And they just can't get away. And um, it's a very painful situation. There's a lot of aggression. There's a lot of distortion. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's not a lot of good communication. uh, And one can't leave. That's called duty or obligation. And what one finds in that is a whole lot of testing. Nityananda said every moment is a test. And so the catalyst of joys and sorrows arises at every moment as well. And so this fourfold schema can uh, pertain to marriage, obviously, partnership, uh, any kind of friendship, or family relations. And again, there's going to be some mix of these. Uh, It's sort of impossible, actually, (laughs) unless uh, one is uh, quite sagely, to know before the development of the relationship, what the relationship is going to get into or how it's going to go and so i have a client who's a friend and we're thinking of putting together some relationship seminars uh, starting in australia and looking at these four uh, categories of partnership uh, including in the seminar the importance of seeing clearly and choosing wisely at the start one can get out of a lot of trouble by not choosing a certain partner and we get into trouble or have a a heavy dose of the catalyst of sorrow testing duty obligation uh, by simply having chosen a certain partner now it's usually impossible (laughs) to know how a partner or a person is going to change two and five and ten years down the line and that's the great challenge of you know the legal contract of marriage to Me, it's one of the few contracts um, in which one doesn't, one really can't, cannot know what one's signing on to. And so uh, be careful. And as we see in Nosolar, uh, lots of, of the folks that are down in the lower zones, meaning they go to hell after death, uh, they go to, you know, one of the levels of, you know, in the Buddhist understanding of the Nirayas, cold and hot hells, or these lower realms of the astral plane, which are very real, they're experientially as real as 3D physical. I assure you. Uh, <clears throat> many of the people there are there because of, let's say, failing tests, or not, and ch- not having chosen well, or being, uh, you know, their choice doesn't even matter. And so people will realize, will will ask, well. <laughs> If these things are chosen before birth, uh how can we even choose? That's a good point. Yeah. But um in in it's the, you know, the the integration of apparent free will and uh karmic determinism. Well, um there's a principle called you pay me now or you pay me later. Um the challenges that one will have in partnership will, it, for a person who's sincerely continuing on the way, meaning continuing to, you know, continue self healing, self knowing, acceptance, uh, forgiveness, and finding better ways of, of being, uh, understanding oneself deeply, psychologically, emotionally, uh, you're going to get it whether you're in partnership or you're alone, actually. Uh, the you know the, the monastic the yogi who is not getting stuck in a in a trance not getting stuck in magical power not getting stuck in some fantasy uh, not getting stuck in some arrogance or meditative um kind of sideline will face the pain in their mind that they would have faced in partnership anyway uh and we really have limited choice and we can say that <clears throat> the people, you know, we, we it, this is a really another discussion, but uh, the, uh, our understanding of that free will is uh, unilateral or unconditional or absolute or 360 degree is not true. We experience free will within a certain range. Likewise, Programmed Catalyst is also malleable or fluid in in terms of uh, what we'll do with it when we meet it here in space-time. It's programmed before birth, like meeting certain people in our life, like the people that we end up marrying or having close relationship with, certainly family is chosen before birth. Uh, but there is some wiggle room, I think, in that For some people, (laughs) depending on their mind. Uh, We may well experience um, the free will to reject a potential partner that we determine by our discernment uh, to be very distorted or um, would would be a testing duty relationship only or an 80-20 situation. We do experience, obviously, free will to um, be given choices that we decline. Like, um, you know, she strong-armed me and said, uh, either you marry me or i kill myself. And, I mean, I've had this experience. And in that, I had to actually make peace with the possibility that, that she, who I really... Love although she I felt she was very distorted, you know. Okay, I'm distorted too. Alright, everybody's distorted. And I felt she was very distorted. That uh had I married her I would really be in trouble. And I declined, and she didn't kill herself, of course. And she's fine and she's doing much better now. And <clears throat> I experienced choice there. Was that a pre programmed catalyst that I would meet her and have this opportunity? to marry or decline, perhaps, possibly, probably, certainly that we would meet. It doesn't have to be pre-programmed before birth. There's also programming on the astral plane in the days and weeks and months and years before a physical meeting. So there's programming upstairs before birth and during the incarnation prior to the space-time time point of, of meeting someone that we thought we hadn't met before <laughs> and deja vu of course is some kind of bleed through into the consciousness or, or some kind of movement into the conscious mind of the awareness that this is not new or actually I know this person already or I knew this uh, encounter would happen beforehand because it's known in time space and manifests later in time in space time in the physical world, so we do experience choice. Um, the more developed the mind is, the the greater the range of choice experienced. Yet there are parameters to that. Um, the more free a soul is, a being is, the the wider their awareness of choice will be. The more free willing they can do. There are many many cases, uh, or certainly people with. You know, to the extent, there are a lot of people who um, have a lot of distortions that they don't think are distortions. They're not aware. I mean, most people in the world are like that. They're not thinking about self-improvement, you know. They're not thinking life is about learning and growing and service. They don't think that way, if you hadn't noticed. So, that doesn't mean anybody's better than them, but people have that, the awareness of life as path or not. And even we who have some awareness that life is path... We're here, the purpose of incarnation is the evolution of mind body spirit, said Ra. That's it, boom, the purpose of incarnation is the evolution of my body spirit or the seven chakras, or the development of all we are, okay. There are very few people who seem to know that in this world. There are very few religionists who would accept the no solar story. They don't like it i'm I'm absolutely sure that if you go to lots of churches and uh you know the mosque, if they'll let you in, and the synagogue. If they'll let you in, uh, and you present the Nosolar story, I would imagine that nine out of ten would reject it quickly. While, while to me, the Nosolar story um, is probably the most accurate representation of afterlife for the majority of human souls that I've seen, you know, in print, in in any communicated form. Uh, probably better even than than Michael Newton's story, because um, I think he had certain limitations. And, it's, you know, there are certain problems there. But most religionists even, people even who value virtue and morality, most people would probably reject the No Solar story because it doesn't fit their dogma or their beliefs, because it's not taught by their uh, church leaders. That's funny. And so uh, the idea of reincarnation for the purpose of evolution of my Body, Spirit and uh a never ending series of lives to the perfection of all we are there're very very few people in this world who have that view and so um when those people reincarnate uh which is the majority here in many cases they will have programmed a uh, a marriage or the meeting of the marriage partner in which they don't perceive much of a choice to not marry meaning every marriage is because the person generally felt I need to marry Uh, and yet they go headlong into trouble (laughs) they rush headlong into a testing and duty based marriage Uh, continual testing or regular testing This is associated with 3D evolution or 3D incarnation, as Nityananda said. But there certainly are relationships where there's a lot of love and and good friendship and good compatibility uh, and also some testing and also duty and obligation. Uh, But there are also (laughs) relationships, particularly for people who come into this life with a lot of distortion, lower triad blockage, without any sense that that the purpose of life is soul evolution uh, who will program a very um, disharmonious partnership and family life too and that's inevitably triggering and to the extent that that triggering we meet the triggering with anger uh, wrong speech wrong action blaming uh, lack of clarity in communication uh, punishing or withdrawing, or controlling, dominating, all of that, then we get stuck too, or we get more stuck. And so uh, every relationship we can say will have some degree of duty, responsibility, and testing, the two lower portions, the lower types of, you know, the more difficult types or uh, modes of of partnership. Uh, The question is how much love and friendship there is. And You can't make compatibility, but you can certainly make good communication and you can certainly walk in, you know, with with the desire to be honest and kindly, goodwill, uh, present, and it's difficult. It's very difficult. You know, of course, it's very difficult. Uh, That's why monks live alone, (laughs) because it's too difficult to um, focus on Um, unrestricted self-development while partnered to anyone uh, where inevitably there's going to be duty responsibility, particularly. And so uh, you can say that uh, solitude is a cop-out. You can say that uh, relationship is a (laughs) cop-out. So it depends. It depends on the person. And um, lots of people have relationships where they're fighting each other all the time. And don't see that they could not be. Uh, And they use their fighting relationship as a crutch to avoid self-inquiry or um, self-knowing, self-healing. So, uh, partnership conflict as a defense mechanism, avoidance of looking within and looking in the mirror. Meanwhile, there's solitude as an avoidance of relationship too. Or withdrawal... Or declining opportunities for relationship uh, because of fear or not wanting to face shame or not wanting to be triggered um, when we ought to be because we got stuff that needs healing. So this fourfold schema, uh, love, friendship, duty, responsibility, and testing, uh, I think is very useful to understand the types of marriages and partnerships and family relations we find ourselves in, and when indeed uh it's a voluntary partnership like you know friendship and marriage versus uh pre incarnatively non voluntary like who which family we were born into parents and siblings when it's voluntary first of all, <laughs> it's very important to be careful before you jump in. Uh, look before your leap is very wise, and yet, you know, obviously, they're from the emotional need and sexual frustration or longing or any kind of um, internal pressure, it's very common we don't look, we just leap, and then we're in. Uh, to me, one of the real challenges of relationship here is you don't really know what you're getting till you're in. You don't really know how well you're fit, you'll fit until there's been some intimacy, you know. Fit meaning mentally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Obviously, we want one. One doesn't necessarily know that until in partnership or relationship, uh, one goes to sexuality. That's a real trouble, actually. It's like you can't know how well you get along with a partner until you've been sexual. There, there's some truth to that, actually, because uh, people are not. That open and honest and and frank and um, undefended or on un, you know without posturing um, at the big be- you know after sex or the 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 sexual intimacy often breaks down the posturing uh, of trying to give a good good first impression obviously many people understand that so you don't know what you're gonna you don't know what you've got till you got it (laughs) and it may be too late certainly marriage is like that and that's the danger in marriage and that's definitely one reason that a lot of people are shying away from marriage these days is there's greater awareness um that um people divorce a lot and it's too painful to get close you know to marry somebody uh in in which there's going to be uh, a lot of conflict you know, uh, primarily testing relationship or duty obligation. Uh, People want some kind of gain. Um, It's pretty normal. Uh, But the legal, you know, I mean, I'm not really into the legal system, (laughs) obviously. But Uh, it's a real problem making a legal contract whose terms are perhaps impossible to understand at the start how we will change over the years it's probably impossible to know that and so what you're going to get is your karma (laughs) whether it's um, heavily favored in the side on the side of love and friendship or heavily weighted to the side of duty and testing uh, you'll see (laughs) people see people get it and uh yet before the the rela- before you choose or to whatever extent you have some freedom to choose it's good to be careful at the start before you get uh b- before you um bring somebody onto you know into your house into the house of your life uh or put them on your horse to travel the 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 road of of the incarnation um it's important to be careful uh, as much as we can be, <clears throat> so um, these four types of marriage, partnership, friendship, relationship represent um degrees of harmony, degrees of compatibility, and um, some kind of karmic return uh for this lifetime. Because in the past life and the future life, one may program differently, one may uh, rightly experience or choose differently, Uh, meaning a person may have had an excellent partnership in the last life, and deliberately choose before birth to, to marry a spouse or partner in which there's primarily duty and testing. That may happen. And that's another kind of funny thing. So when you have some understanding of your past lives, uh, you can even get a sense that I had something so much better than this before. (laughs) Why do I have this when I'm so, you know, I thought I didn't need this anymore? Um, And being surprised at at having lost, or the sense of having lost um, excellent compatibility that I had before. Many wanderers have this experience. Rod talks about six density wanderers being familiar with uh, mind-body-spirit fusion, or or full beingness, fusion, joy in each other's, joy and delight in each other's beingness, uh, total beingness, or six-dimensional beingness. that That's native to six-density beings, and so that's native to six-density wanderers, and so that's the backdrop against which we measure uh, whether we do it consciously or not, uh, the quality of present intimacy or relationship, particularly partnership and marriage, uh, having had full beingness, joy, delight, and not having it now generally is is uh, just a sign that well, I guess for this incarnation, I chose duty responsibility and testing more so than perfect love friendship, yet of course, <laughs> based on the underlying compatibility. Uh, one may find that more love and friendship grows over the years too, uh, because both are growing. But one may choose a partner who's not growing. One may choose a partner who hates <laughs> spirituality. Uh, one may uh, enter the relationship very similar, and then over time change divergently, and so one person becomes more spiritually developed or sensitive, and 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 careful about uh, morality meaning I don't want to hurt you, or I don't want to be harmful, and the other person goes the other way, becomes more materialistic and, and dogmatic or bitter, then what? Well, that's called another testing. And is, uh, is staying truly duty responsibility doing the right thing? Depends. It may be, it may not be. And so part of the testing is, the, in that case, um, the discernment uh, for decision to stay or leave. Uh, there may be real duty and responsibility in that case, true discernment would it would reveal I ought to stay. On the other case, um, duty responsibility isn't there, uh, or one doesn't want it. One really is given you know fielder's choice, as in baseball, you can throw it to second, you can throw it to first, you can stay, you can leave it's up to you, and uh, you can check with your guides, but your guides may say it's up to you <laughs> that's another case. People who are headstrong need to listen to guides or check within. People who check within may become addicted to checking within and asking the guides. I remember I was in the forest in Thailand in 83, and um, some I brought my I Ching. <laughs> some other guy brought his I Ching, and um, he would ask the I Ching like two or three times a day what he should do about this and that. He's just living in the forest, right? <laughs> Maybe you should put the book down and meditate more. But people can become addicted to searching for guidance. And in that case, <laughs> generally, the next step is uh, learning to to um, guide oneself. And so the discernment may... Uh, the, the testing in certain relationships is going to be the testing of, of the discernment of what's best to stay or leave. So, So these are four modes um of these part of partnership and i think i've exhausted it pretty well so i want to gen- jump to the eight worldly winds. so we go from the four modes to the eight winds, and <clears throat> this is where we conclude and i think we'll wrap this whole discussion up today in one day i just sent a link uh access to insight which is uh, translations from Pali early Buddhism, which is what I use. Uh, translated by Tanasaro Bhikkhu, who I think is a fine translator. This is called Loka Vipati Sutta. Loka means world, like uh, tree loka, three worlds, right? Kama loka, Rupa loka, Arupa loka. Loka, world. Vipati means failings, I guess. So the title here is The Failings of the World. This is translated by Tanasaro Biko from Anguttara Nikaya. Um, this is probably maybe the first presentation uh, of a teaching that was further developed in Mahayana Buddhism. Nichiren Shoshu Shosen Nichiren, very famous uh, monk teacher in Japan. Uh, what? 1500 years later, developed this further, or had his own take on it. This is the, probably, I guess, I guess the first presentation of what's called the Eight Worldly Winds, and I've talked about this before also. Uh, basically, you've got four pleasurable, four painful, and this, again, is a breakdown of the joys and sorrows uh, of Catalyst, the catalyst of joys and sorrows, as Raw said. The four pleasant are pleasure, gain, honor—a pleasure, gain, praise, and honor—which goes physical, uh, emotional, B- basically. Uh, I'll explain. It goes from the body to the social. It's pretty much first, second, third chakra uh, progression. So the 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 uh, favorable, <laughs> the um, karmic rewarding, karmic supportive. Worldly winds are called pleasure, gain, uh, praise, and honor. The uh, bitter worldly winds, or the catalyst of sorrows, are pain, loss, um, blame, and dishonor. And so, uh, mm, gain and loss pertain obviously to the physical and financial and emotional and social, particularly in terms of uh, self to society uh, in the sense of um, how I'm my own um, uh, my own position uh, the development of my own position while the two higher um, which is praise and honor certainly represent, you know, relate to one's own situation, but they're particularly interpersonal social. Uh, People praising us, people, uh, society giving honor. Uh, Likewise, the unfavorable for being loss and uh, pain, you know, pain and loss certainly pertain to body, pertain to material conditions, um, your house burns down, and you break your leg. (laughs) That's called pain and loss. Then there's blame and dishonor. So uh, his house burned down, uh, trying to save his stuff. He broke his leg. Everybody blamed him for it, and it was in all the newspapers um, that all that happened. Uh, Dishonor. That, that's called a really bad day. And um, let's look at the original teaching from Gautama. Uh, so, translating from Chandasaro Bhikkhu. Monks, these eight worldly conditions spin after the world, and the world spins after these eight worldly conditions. Which eight? Gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, pain and so you see gain and loss are the same as how I translate um, pleasure, pain, also the same then there's censure, There, there's praise and censure which is also praise and blame and then there's status and disgrace which is honor, dishonor, same so we're expanding from the physical of pleasure, pain to the material um general material condition, including financial of loss, gain and loss, going to the interpersonal of uh, praise and blame or praise and censure, and then the collective uh, status and disgrace or honor dishonor. These are the eight worldly conditions that spin after the world, and the world spins after, meaning longs for, these eight worldly conditions. And now there's a contrast between the well <laughs> well trained person and the un well trained untrained person. Going on, for an uninstructed run of the mill person, there arise gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain. For a well instructed disciple of the noble ones, there also arise gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain so what difference what distinction what distinguishing factor is there between the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones and the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person this is called the worldly versus the well-instructed for us lord some monks are saying for us lord the teachings have the blessed one as their root their guide and their arbiter it would be good if the blessed one gotama himself would explicate the meaning of this statement. Having heard from the Blessed One, the monks, meaning us, we will remember it. And so what is the difference? Um, the eight worldly winds affect everyone, whether the person is well instructed or not, whether the person has a spiritual perspective or not. In that case, monks, listen and pay close attention. I will speak. As you say, Lord, Bante. the monks replied. The Blessed One Gautama said, quote, Gain arises, and this is just the whole list of all eight gain arises for an uninstructed run of the mill person. He does not reflect gain has arisen for me, it is inconstant, stressful, and subject to change. He does not discern it as it actually is, and that and then of course, all the other the other seven worldly wins um, arise for a worldly or uninstructed person too loss status and disgrace, censure and praise and pleasure and pain, so uh, the worldly winds affect us all uh, the person who is not instructed doesn't have a Buddhist perspective <laughs> and may have a spiritual perspective but generally unless they're <laughs> Buddhist trained, they won't have this perspective and this perspective uh, <clears throat> what the particularly what Gautama is saying is the, the ordinary person doesn't know the three marks, the three characteristics. The three characteristics are anicca, anatta, dukkha, which is impermanence or inconstancy. Everything's changing all the time. Anatta or... Um, actually, here he's only looking at the two, two of the three. Um, anicca and uh, dukkha. So, inconstant and subject to change, uh, which is interesting. The three marks usually are understood as Anicca dukkha anatta, meaning everything is anicca impermanent, always subject to change and inconstant, um, and that is painful dukkha. This is, there are two ways of reading. There's anicca anatta dukkha, which is the way I do it, and and the traditional way is not this way. It's uh, anicca dukkha anatta, meaning impermanence, everything subject to change and inconstant, and that's suffering. <laughs> Now, some people will argue, "No, impermanence is good, <laughs> but actually, uh, if you really see your mental process, you will see continual loss uh, co- continual loss of, of stability, from the fact that, that everything's changing, particularly your mind states are always changing. You know? Nobody seeks pleasure that will end. <laughs> Nobody seeks gain and pleasure. And and, uh, praise and honor that will end. We seek it to not end, but it all ends. And because of that, it's Dukkha. And then the the traditional way is then, you know, how could something that is impermanent and painful Dukkha uh, be myself? Well, it can't, so then they get to Anatta. But basically here you've got two of the three. You've got Anicca and Dukkha, meaning impermanent, inconstant, subject to change and stressful and that's the that's the key to the difference between the ordinary person and the person with the Buddhist perspective, the person with the Buddhist perspective understands all the all these worldly wins, the good ones and the bad ones, what I like what I don't like, they will arise and pass away. they're not forever uh and likewise they're stressful and so then the the sutta goes on and basically says, for all of these worldly wins. For the worldly, ordinary folk, um, pain and all of the, the good and the bad, the eight of them, they arise, but the person doesn't reflect that it's arisen, they don't recognize it's arisen, they're just, you know, in some emotional res- response, without being clear, um, I'm in an emotional response, <laughs> I'm having emotional charge, and that's also, a, you know, a very critical point of self-awareness is to identify one's states rather than just unconsciously be in them. And so the first uh, mark of wisdom is to acknowledge um, what's arising, what's happening. And that's, you know, well learned in mindfulness meditation. (laughs) So the regular, ordinary person, or person without a Buddhist perspective, really, doesn't realize a worldly wind has arisen, and they don't realize uh, two of the three marks, which is basically impermanence, and, and stressfulness. Therefore, they're not discerning it as it actually is. And that's the key to Buddhism. That's the key to Buddhist awakening is seeing what is, discerning reality, discerning all as is. And so then, <clears throat> uh, Gautama going on, his mind, the one instructed person, remains consumed, consumed with each of the emotional reactions. To, and of, the worldly winds, the person, the mind of the person remains consumed. The mind is consumed, eaten, <laughs> digested, by the worldly wind, or by the reaction to it. Right there, there's people can praise and blame, and we can get honor and dishonor. <clears throat> that's not a mental experience. Uh, that's uh, an ex, an environmental catalyst coming in uh, likewise you know or <clears throat> in distinction uh, pain and pleasure and gain and loss are much more personal meaning they're originating from the person or uh, I don't know it's hard to explain that but <clears throat> the mind doesn't have to be consumed by pray by by what comes from the outside but certainly we would the mind can easily be consumed by our emotional charge triggering or our triggered emotional charge in response to what's coming at us, like blame and censure and dishonor, uh, loss of status, how people see us. But the mind becomes consumed either in the experience of the worldly winds or by our reaction to the worldly winds. <clears throat> and then the mind basically um, suffers more and and the nature of you may need to mute there the na- the nature of of the mind that 's consumed by the worldly winds or in relation to the worldly winds um, is explained here. He welcomes the arisen gain and rebels against the arisen loss. And that's the point. Welcoming and rebelling. Grasping and averring, Grasping and aversion. I want it. I love it. More and more. I'm going to hold it and keep it. Damn, I need this. Yes, yes, yes. Or I hate it. Uh, Fuck it. (laughs) Get away. Shit. (laughs) You know, that's a very simple response. Uh, Aversion. Pushing it away. So one either welcomes the, the common response to the worldly winds, clearly, is welcoming and rebelling, grasping and averring, um, <clears throat> clinging and craving, versus avoiding, um, denying, <laughs> sublimating, faking, <laughs> rationalizing away, overintellectualizing away, all the defense mechanisms. Uh, and that's the real problem Um, and it goes on as he is thus engaged in welcoming and rebelling which really means grasping and hating he is not released from birth aging or death nor from sorrows, lamentations, pains distresses or despairs he's not released I tell you from suffering and stress so there's no freedom from dukkha he doesn't go to nirvana he doesn't end the suffering round of birth and death and then that's contrasted with the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones who reflects gain has arisen or all or any of the worldly winds or one's reaction to them. It's inconstant, stressful, subject to change. It's impermanent. It will come and go. <clears throat> and um, it's, it's uh, difficult, that's true. Even gain and pleasure and, and honor and praise, uh, status, there is a stressfulness to our our common reactions to them when we're not aware of um, the, the impermanence. So the point is he discerns it. The one who's well instructed discerns the arising of these winds as they actually are. And so they reflect pain has arisen or any of the world, you know, pain or pleasure or a gain and a loss or praise and a blame. It's inconstant, stressful, subject to change, and therefore they're discerning it as it actually is. The mind does not become, remain, or remain consumed with the experience of these winds. He doesn't welcome the arisen gain or rebel against the arisen loss. Meaning, one is not grasping and clinging and craving the favorable worldly winds, one is not hating or avoiding. Or pretending, you know, it isn't uh, to the, you know, uh, there isn't an arisen experience of the unfavorable worldly winds, because that's normally what happens. We grasp and crave and cling to that of the 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 four that are pleasurable, and we hate and push away and avoid and have defense mechanisms that that uh, reject the unfavorable worldly winds, and so the one that actually doesn't welcome pleasure and the favorable and doesn't hate or rebel against pain and the unfavorable Uh, eventually it says as he thus abandons welcoming and rebelling he is released from samsara from sorrow lamentation pain distress and despair and he's released from suffering and stress meaning he ends the uh, round of samsara Quote, this is the difference, this the distinction, this the distinguishing factor between the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones and the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person. And then there are a couple of (coughs) um, stanzas here at the end. Gain loss, status disgrace, censure praise, pleasure pain. These conditions among human beings are inconstant, impermanent, subject to change. Knowing this, the wise person, mindful, ponders these changing conditions. Desirable things don't charm the mind. Undesirable ones bring no resistance. His welcoming and rebelling are scattered, gone to their end, do not exist. Knowing the dustless, sorrowless state, he discerns rightly, has gone. Beyond becoming, to the further shore. The end of dancing in the octave. The end of imagining ourselves as dancing light. As Ra would say, you are dancing thoughts. No, actually, that also is a uh, false identity. <laughs> we are the one who created love light. I mean, what is the what is the love one? Friends. The law of one all is one so all is the one infinite creator means you too but it ain't the you you think is you it's the you um, as the essence of identity the essence of presence the essence of identity being uh, unbound presence that ultimately is one with the creator of light and so Nityananda knows that and Lin Shi talked about that so That's the point. The wise person mindful ponders changing conditions. Desirable things don't charm the mind. Undesirable undesirable ones bring no resistance. And eventually welcoming and rebelling or craving, clinging, grasping and aversion, hating, rejecting, avoiding, pretending it isn't, is scattered or all scattered, gone to their end and don't exist and don't arise anymore when those um, contorted reactions to mental or interpersonal experience don't arise. This is, you know, <laughs> passing all the tests <laughs> and no longer seeing any tests and beyond our position. Uh, goes beyond <clears throat> all experience to the further shore, or I would say out of the octave. And so that, that's a higher Buddhist perspective uh, on facing duty, responsibility and testing and also not getting attached to or being consumed by uh, the two higher forms or modes of partnership, relationship being love and friendship. So, what is pleasurable is appreciated but um, understood as impermanent. What is painful is uh, not avoided but also recognized as impermanent. So one doesn't get stuck in blame and self-pity. One doesn't get stuck in um, grasping and a kind of um, unbalanced neediness, and when those arise, one realizes that they're in, that that all that's impermanent too. Clinging and craving is impermanent. Hating and rebelling and avoiding that's also impermanent, and that's why defense mechanisms don't work because they are also impermanent, and so they won't they won't work forever. So. Uh, there's a whirlwind uh synthesis for you uh four modes of marriage going to four modes of relationship or even relational experience understood in the context of the eight worldly winds and gotama's prescription and uh all of which is basically an unpacking of ra's description or um teaching that their experience in fourth density in a very harmonious society was essentially the same as ours the continual experience of the catalyst of joys and sorrows. And um, that's what we got. We got worldly winds that are pleasurable and joyous or happy. We have worldly winds that are unpleasurable and sorrowful and painful. Um, we have partnerships and relationships with mix of those positive and negative or happy-sad, you know, pleasurable, painful conditions, experiences of Uh, mind and relationship so there you go (laughs) i hope it's been helpful it's interesting for me uh i wish you well take good care of yourself and good night